to Redemption. My name is Byron. I get the great honor to be able to serve as the lead pastor. If you are a guest, I want to say welcome. Can we give it up for all of our guests in the room? We know you could be anywhere in Southeast Texas, but you're here this morning. Praise God for you. And anytime throughout the message, if you want to grab one of those Connect cards in the seat back in front of you and fill it out, I'll be at the Connect desk and I would love to be able to shake your hand and say hello. You're in for a special treat today because we got a guest in the house. He's a friend. He's a coach. He's an encourager. And he's also one of my pastors who speaks into my life. His name is Pastor Joey Ferjanic. He's from the Block Church in Philadelphia. They just celebrated nine years of reviving every block in Philadelphia. He's going to tell you a little bit more about his story, but I just want to say Pastor Joey has been a source of encouragement to me. Over the summer, I got to spend a week with him and his team while I was on my sabbatical, and I was discouraged and even had days where I wanted to give up and quit. He was an encouragement to me, and he continued to speak life into me, and he, he made me come back to Beaumont's when I didn't want to. Praise God for Pastor Joey. Amen. And uh, over the weekend, he's been pouring into your senior leadership here, our elders and our trustees and our, uh, our board. He's spent a night of vision and just impartation, getting our church ready for the next season and what God is about to do here at Redemption. So I couldn't be more excited to introduce you to my friend and one of my pastors, Pastor Joey Frejanic. Can we give a big Redemption welcome to Pastor Joey? Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Amen. It's great to be in the house of God with you and really honored. And as Byron said, I do come from Philadelphia, and I don't know what that means for you. I know what it means for me. Go Eagles. I don't know if that impacts you negatively. It's not a good idea to create enemies before you preach, but it just needed to be known. So, uh, But hey, I wanted to do something before we begin, before I preach. I really do want to honor your pastor, Byron, and... I just want to say, like, God is moving in this church. It's special, and it's beautiful. Uh, it's remarkable, and it's improbable. And your pastor and his team, they deserve honor. And uh, what they're doing and what they're working towards, you're in a good place. You're in a safe place. Your pastor loves this place, this city, this community. Can we just take a moment and honor him? Yeah. And... Um, I just want to I just want to pray over you before we begin, and uh, I'd love it if we would pray for Pastor. The enemy always wants to take out pastors and their families, so we just pray over them right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for blessing this ministry. Thank you, Lord, for filling your house. I pray that you would overwhelmingly bless them, cover them, protect them, their children, their marriage, their finances, all of it. Continue to breathe on them. In Jesus' name, amen? amen? Amen. Also, have some friends here. It surprised me today. Uh, Daniel and Ashley, pastors in Houston, uh, Sugarland. Sugarland. Can you guys just wave real quick? They're in the house, all right? They're pastor at a church, came down. I believe Daniel spoke here at one point as well. So, But anyway, thanks for coming, guys. Appreciate you guys. And uh, they're starting their church in the new year. Come on, somebody. So... <clears throat> 
So uh, I got my, my family who's not here, but they do exist. Uh, my wife, Lauren, got a picture of her, I hope. And do you? Okay, good. And uh, that's my wife, Lauren. Also have a six-year-old, Maverick. Maverick, and he is something. And uh, the other day he was practicing. He's going to preach with me in, uh, after Thanksgiving. He's going to do five minutes with me. And he's been practicing. We have multiple locations. He got up and, and he was practicing. He's like, I want to welcome all of our locations. My name is Maverick and I'm the lead pastor. <laughs> I was like, okay, chill out. Um, so, and then there's my daughter, Jovi, two years old. And uh, Jovi, Jovi is uh, unhinged. There's no other way to describe it. Like, I didn't know what it would be like to have a daughter, and it took a while to connect, but then, like, it's been so fun. It was her birthday yesterday. But, like, this is my experience with Jovi. Uh, She wears a princess dress at all times, and she's beautiful, and she will put her head on my chest, and she'll say, Daddy, I love you. And then literally moments later, she will punch her brother and pull his hair. And so, anyway, that's my experience with a daughter. So, I can't wait till she's a teenager. All right. Uh, so, anyway, um, <clears throat> uh, ambulance, that was great. We have that in Philadelphia, too. Uh, so, I feel at home. Amen. Uh, we have leaks. Um, so, that's going to happen the entire sermon. So, just don't pay attention to it. All right. So, uh, all right. Being married, I'll be 11 years this summer. And uh, I obviously love being married, love my wife. She is special, wish she was here. But, you know, when you are looking for romance and when you get married, you want to have similar values, right? I mean, you want to believe the same things. You want to go in the same direction. But there are differences between men and women that they're never going to change, okay? Like, like, and that's okay. Okay, thank God, right? But there's like things like, 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 you know that old adage, like, men are from Mars, women are from Venus? It's like, my wife, like, a good day for her is she wants to go apple picking, you know, with the family. I want to play golf. There's a difference, okay? A good day for my wife, she wants a pedicure. I want to play golf, you know? Uh, my wife wants to go shopping. I want to die. No, like, I would rather die, I should say. Uh, My wife, this is another one. My wife wants to watch Hallmark Christmas movies in October. I want to die again. Then resurrect and watch football. Uh, Go birds. Uh, My my wife did this the other day. It's amazing. Okay, my wife wanted to set up our, she not wanted, she did. She set up our Christmas decorations the day after Halloween. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to cancel Christmas at that point. I'm like, this is, there's differences uh, between my vision for a good day and my wife's vision for a good day, right? Now, of course, don't get me wrong. We have lots of fun. But at the end of the day, if I want to relax, I want to play golf with my guys. I want to watch football. You understand that, right? I used to do this thing. This didn't last very long. It was early on in our marriage where I would say, hey, Sunday's tomorrow. I got to preach. I can't do anything on Saturday. I can't do any laundry because I have to do the Lord's work on Sunday. 
I can't babysit the kids because I got to do the Lord's work on Sunday. She didn't like that very much. And I, I think, obviously, as we grew and as we kept being married, I understood it's true that a happy wife really does make a happy life. And that's all my message is about today. Man, I just wanted to help you. I'm kidding a little bit, but I think, honestly, we do this subconsciously and unintentionally with God, where we kind of have a vision for how life should be that, at times, is competing with God's design for how our lives should be. And sometimes, we actually go, hey, God, I've got something to do for you that competes with what God wants us to do for him. We actually unintentionally manipulate God by using scripture or things of God by not doing the will of God. Think about it. We, again, naturally have a vision for the way life should be. And when God comes in, it's remarkable, it's wonderful. When you become a believer, when you get saved, it's incredible. You're fired up, you love Jesus, and then you begin to get into what it really means to follow Jesus, and you realize there are things about the way I live that compete with the vision God has for my life. And then you have to decide whose vision is going to win. And today I want to help you. I want to encourage you. I want you to walk in the fullness of God's blessing. I want to preach a message titled, Whose Vision? Whose Vision? Look at somebody next to you and ask them, Whose Vision is Winning? Whose Vision is Winning? Whose Vision? I'm going to take us uh, to the book of Haggai today and... Maybe you've never studied the book of Haggai. Maybe you've never, you don't even know where it is. Well, it's in the Old Testament, Minor Prophet. I'm going to give you a little context, and I think it's really going to help us understand how to walk in God's vision. Haggai chapter 1. And basically, before I read, before I read, uh, the people of God, the Jewish people, they have been delivered from exile, delivered from slavery. It's been 18 years since they've been delivered. And in the first several years, God asked them to rebuild his house, to rebuild his temple. But they only built an altar. They only built an altar. And then for 14 years, they lived their way and they neglected God's vision for their community. That's where we pick up. God's frustrated in verse 2, Haggai chapter 1. The Bible says this, This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. The time has not yet come to rebuild. So listen to me. The people, they have their priorities, but God has his priorities. Okay? They didn't want to rebuild the house because the land was desolate after 70 years. The work was hard. They claimed to have not had a lot of money or manpower. They suffered crop failures and droughts. They had hostile enemies resisting the work. And they remembered easier times in Babylon. And so when God is fed up with the fact that they lived 14 years 
without doing what he's asked them to do, God interrupts them by way of a prophet, by way of a preacher, and says, hey, hold on. I want you to rebuild my house. That is priority. And all of a sudden, the people take offense to this, like many of us do, and naturally, our walls go up of defense. We get offended, and their inclination from their inners is to go, man, it was easier in slavery. How many times do we subconsciously follow Jesus or attempt to follow Jesus, and we're loving God until all of a sudden we see something in his word, or God interrupts us and says, I want you to go a different direction. And we're like, God, this is kind of difficult. I don't like that you're interfering in my life. Hey, God, my, my sex life, off limits. My finances, off limits. My profession, off limits. Hey, God, I like, I like to say I'm with you, God, but when you start to get in my business, when you start to ask me questions about where I'm going and what I'm doing, I feel a little bit uncomfortable with this. And friends, the longer you follow Jesus and the longer you go in your journey with God, if you're going to go from faith to faith, glory to glory, God will interrupt you and say, hold on, is my vision winning in your life or is your vision for your life winning? Because only one can be first. And the people are saying essentially, hey, it's just too hard to build your vision, God. We had to take care of ourselves. Have you ever said that, by the way, that God's vision is too hard? God's vision for me individually or God's vision for us corporately, it's just too hard? God, I, I can't... I can't do what you're asking me to do because I have too many other things to take care of. I've got too many other commitments. God, I can't do this. What you're asking of me is too hard. I think it's a common misconception, by the way, that many believers carry is that if it's hard, it can't be God. Or if it's not smooth, it can't be God. And so what we tend to do naturally is we want to settle into what's easy. And in settling into what's easy, we get a false sense of peace that doesn't sustain and doesn't provide purpose. I want to encourage you today that your walk with God, yes, it is filled with triumph. It's filled with wonder. It is adventure to follow Jesus. There is nothing like amazing grace. But if you want to walk in the fullness of what God has for you, there will be moments where God interrupts your comfort and says, I want you to put my vision first, and that might mean putting your priorities second. And if it's hard, it doesn't mean it's not God. It might just mean that if you complete it, God will get the glory for it. Are you following me so far? In John chapter 6, there's a passage I think that's very revealing. Jesus says to them, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. 
on hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? This is a great example of what it means when we follow Jesus and his vision for our life. Because here's Jesus preaching, and he's got this great crowd, and people are loving the fact that there is this uprising, and they're loving the fact that, hey, we like some of what you're saying. The meek will inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor. All these good things. And then all of a sudden, Jesus turns it and delivers them this word that has great meaning to it, but they don't understand it on face value. And he says, hey, if you really want to follow me, if you really want to go with me, if you really want to be blessed, then you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And all of a sudden, people are like, whoa, this guy went from hero to Dracula in a moment. And the Bible says, and this is exactly what's happened in our culture, by the way. By the way pay attention. The Bible says many heard this and it was too hard of a teaching, so they went away. Why have you seen so many people in your life and in your family and your friends go away from the kingdom, deconstruct from the kingdom, walk away? Because what happens is, is when God really starts to peel away the layers in your life, you are confronted with the fact that either you are following Jesus or you are asking Jesus to follow you. And so many of our friends and people actually never were following Jesus. They were asking Jesus to approve of their lifestyle and say, Hey, Jesus, I want your blessing, but not your vision. And so Jesus looks back to his disciples and he's like, Hey, you going to leave too? And Peter says something that's so striking. It's not in your notes, but Peter says this. He says, Lord, to whom would we go? If that isn't maybe the greatest little mini verse hidden in the scriptures, I don't know what is. Because Peter is essentially saying, I get it. Lord, you are not asking me to take a bite out of your arm or suck your neck. You are asking that my life be consumed by you, your vision, your ideas, your ideology, your teaching. I'm following you so close that when I eat communion and when I eat my food and when I drink my drink and when I go where I go, like you are on my mind. You are on the forefront. I'm a missionary to my community. I'm a fisher of men. I'm a lover of my Everywhere I go, I'm consumed by you, Jesus. So, Lord, to whom will we go? Because the thing is, as I've fished and I've tasted and I've seen that this world has stuff, but it ain't as good as you. And the Israelites in the story, they are going, it was better in slavery. And so what they've done is they've built and built and built and lived and they've lied to God and said, we can't build your temple. It's too hard. Your purpose is too much. You're asking too much, Jesus. You're asking too much, God. And God, of course, is saying to them, you remember that one time I delivered you from slavery? I'm about to send my son whom I love to be your Messiah. You think what I'm asking you to do is hard? I was uh, contemplating writing a book several years ago, and 
I saw this TV preacher. And he was saying how God gave him a vision for a book, and he went to a hotel, and for three days, he just was writing it down. And he, when he went home, he had the book, and it was completed, and then it became a bestseller. And I heard that. I said, oh, that's confirmation, God. And I said to my wife, I'm going away for three days, and I'm going to come back with a bestseller. And when I came back, I had an introduction, and that was it. And then over the next nine or ten months, I labored over that book. And I'm like, God, this is too hard. This is too difficult. When I finally did get the book in the mail, all 3,000 copies dropped off in front of my house. The front cover of the book was spelled wrong. I'm like, God, you hate me. Why is this so hard? And God was teaching me something. The first thing he was teaching me was, and listen, God did a great work with the book, okay? He did, he, God, God used it, and he, he blessed people, and to this day, people ask about it. It was never a bestseller, though. But God taught me two things there. The first thing he taught me was that God was actually trying to do something in me, not out of me. And what happened in the process of writing the book was God was emptying me of myself and my pride, and he was teaching me lessons that only the fight and the hard work of following him and hearing him could teach me. Sometimes the hard thing that God has asked you to do is really about what God's trying to do inside of you instead of what he's trying to produce outside of you. Second thing is, is it's so easy to get caught up in looking at what everybody else has, what everybody else gets, and what everybody else is given. And if we're not careful, that's what we do. And we compare our journey with God by going, look at their house. Look at their vacation. Look at their kids. Look at their social media. Why is it that every single person on HGTV they work part-time, and their budget for their house is a million too. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And so naturally, we're just like, oh my goodness, why is everybody else hooked up? Why is everybody else blessed? Why is everybody else happy? Why are there leaks in no one else's church but mine? You know, it's like, what, like, what, like, God, why? And it's just so, it's just so easy to, to look and get caught up. And God, it's too hard. It's so easy for everybody else. It's too hard for me. What we're looking for, listen to me, what we're looking for is false peace that is not sustainable. What has God asked you to do and be? There's an individual play and there's a corporate play. And as you'll see, until we do the corporate play, God really doesn't release and fully bless the individual play. And in verse, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse 4, three, I'm sorry, I'm falling asleep listening to the waterfall. In verse 3, the Bible says, Then the Lord sent this message 
through the prophet Haggai. He says, why? Somebody say why. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? Why? See, listen to me. Look at me. Listen to me for a second. When God's church is not thriving, God's paying attention. When God's church is in ruins, he's calling for action. God, here's why. Because God uses his church as the vehicle that delivers Jesus to its communities. And he allows us to play a part, which is just so fascinating. If any, listen to me. If any area in our life or in our church doesn't clearly show God is first, then God is going to say something to you about it. Why is God frustrated? And I know some of us naturally, listen to me, our defenses all of a sudden kind of rise up because we're like, I have a functional car. I have a nice house. It's not my fault that the leaf, that the roof is leaking. But God sets a precedent, and I need you to hear this. You remember King Solomon? King Solomon's first act of being king, what does he do? Before he even really begins his kingdom, he sacrifices sacrificially. He he makes the greatest sacrifice that we have at that point to date. It is a generous sacrifice. It is only after that sacrifice that God comes to him in a dream and says, what do you want? And then, of course, we know that Solomon says, I want not riches, not fame, but wisdom. Why? Because God is willing to trust him with something greater because he wanted God's vision first. Then what happens? Solomon builds the temple before he builds his own house and kingdom. And for a very long time, Solomon is greatly blessed and greatly used by God. Now we know he goes off the rails later, but that's not the point. The point is, is God is not mad at the people. Hear me. God is not mad at the people because they have luxury homes. He's mad at the people because they're manipulating and lying to him by saying, the soil's too hard. The work is too hard. God is not frustrated that they have luxury homes. He's frustrated that they did not choose to make his home first priority. And Solomon's precedent that he sets is the same precedent that God sets for us. I believe God wants you to be blessed. I believe God wants you to live full. I believe that God wants you to walk in increase and favor. And I'm not saying that suffering and bad moments and sickness and all these different things that at times happen to us isn't also part of walking in the kingdom. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is God has no problems with your wealth. God has no problems with your favor. God has no problems with your increase. God has no problems with acquiring things and having a great Christmas and a great holiday and a great family life. No problems at all, except when God's kingdom and God's church lies in ruins and you don't participate in putting his vision first. Because what Solomon shows us And what Jesus then repeats by saying, seek first the kingdom and everything else will follow is simply this. If you build my house, I will build yours. If you do my vision first, I will do your vision.
You're really going to golf clap that? If you make me and following me and building my vision a priority, then I will come through for you in ways you could never ask, dream, think, or imagine. See, some of us can serve, but we choose not to. Why? Some of us can sacrificially give, but we choose not to. Why? Some of us can lead a group or go to a group or disciple somebody or be discipled, but we choose not to. Why? Some of us can follow Jesus in what he's asking us to do, like start the business or write the book or write the song or work at the new place. We can do these things, but we play it safe. Why? Some of us, all of us, can invite people into relationship with Jesus, but because we don't want to be rejected, we say no. Why? Friends, life is short. It is a vapor. At the end of the day, friends, it's here today. It's gone tomorrow. You have nothing except what you build for God's kingdom and the love that you bring into this earth. In verse 7, God responds again. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now, I want to stop there. Verse 7, look what's happening to you. I don't have time to get into all of it, but what happens is is the people are building luxury homes, but they are reaping a portion of their harvest. And what the commentators begin to describe and explain is, and there's so much here, you should do a study on it, but basically these people have a God-sized hole in their heart. And while they are partially blessed, they are not fully blessed. They keep planting, they keep sowing, but because God is not first, they are only reaping a portion of what God has for them. Because these people are making God secondary, they are unsatisfied, they are not full, they are not happy, they are not at peace, they have stuff, but it doesn't satisfy. And we can chase the world. We can chase romance. We can chase money. We can chase status. We can chase opportunity. We can chase job. We can chase anything. And yes, we might acquire these things and for moments they satisfy and they make us feel good, but there's always a God-shaped hole in our heart when we are not putting Him first. At some point, the economy and the stock market might crumble. At some point, we might all be at war. At some point, we could lose what we know as our nation. At some point, we might be left with rubble. What is your life built on? Because Jesus tells me some built their life on a little bit of sand. And when the rain came and the floods came, washed away. But some built it on me. Some built it on some rock. And when the rains came and the floods came, when all that stuff comes, they're not shaken because we are building our lives on a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And that's Jesus. Is Jesus your vision? Or is self-preservation and fitting Jesus into your life your vision? 
in verse 8, God says, now, go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then, somebody say, then. This is not comparative. Look at the, look at the language. Look at the grammar. It's T-H-E-N. It's then. Once you do these things, then I will take pleasure in your worship and in your life. I'll be honored, says the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. God calls them to work in prioritizing what God's priorities are. I would submit to you today that sometimes our worship, look at me, look at me, please hear me. Some of us, we have a Saul spirit where when we are in the presence of God and in God environments of worship, we are relieved momentarily, but the demons and the anxieties, they linger because we're using God to relieve our anxieties momentarily, but we are not living with God and he is not priority. And the, the way that some of us are going to get delivered in our life from the fear and the anxiety and, and, and the, the, the historical generational iniquities is if God becomes first in our life. We close the doors to areas, places, peoples, and things that don't represent Jesus as number one. Get up and go to work. And that looks different for everybody. For some, God's speaking to you about your end-of-the-year offering. What's God asking? For some of you, you're not serving. You're not participating. For some of you, there's something God's asked you to do. Get up. Go into the hills. Get the timber. Come down and make God's name famous with your life. It's time to take pleasure in attending church. It's time to take pleasure in converting lost people. It's time to take pleasure in giving sacrificially and consistently. It's time to take pleasure in serving his church and his people. Take pleasure in lifting up holy hands and praising God. Take pleasure in being the church and praying and knowing that at the end of the day, you win. Isn't that good news? At the end of the day. All right. I'm closing I realize I have to do this again. I get to do this again. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but look, pastoring anywhere, leading a ministry anywhere, it's challenging. It comes with a lot of challenges. For us in Philadelphia, all of our locations are in the city, in Philadelphia proper. We have six locations. And it's been an incredible journey of winning and trials and God's adventure and struggle. Did you know Philadelphia is the poorest large city in the United States? One of the biggest challenges we've faced besides mental illness has been facilities. And during the pandemic, it was so difficult in our city. It was so challenging. Uh, we got kicked out of every single venue and location we were in besides one. And then eventually we got kicked out of that one too. We basically had to restart our church. And it's been a grind, but God's been faithful. I was looking today, today, I'm not even there. And we are so far beyond where we were last year and finally beyond where we were before the pandemic, which is just a miracle of God. 
But through this process, there's been many times where I wanted to throw in the towel and be like, God, I quit, find somebody else. And God, of course, would remind me that nobody else is coming. But can I just tell you a quick story? Can I have two more minutes? Which means five. Okay, give me just their focus. So during the pandemic, I had this lady who was sending weird emails, okay? And as pastors, sometimes you get weird emails where people accuse you of things, and that's what she was doing. But then she started to show up at our offices. And she would stand in our offices, and she would go, is Pastor Joey here? And of course, they'd be like, no, crazy lady, he's not, you know? And, And like our offices are right next to a strip club, and there's constantly people who are strung out in front of our offices. So it was just normal stuff. But she kept showing up and she kept saying, tell Pastor Joey to stop following me, to stop harassing me, and that he left the dead bird in my house. So I was like, she got me. That's my signature. That's my move. So sometimes she would catch me walking out of the office and get in my face, stop following me, stop harassing me, that, that, that bird in my house. And of course I'd try to evade her and and go on my way but she started showing up to my house and she's writing notes and she's using Old Testament scriptures and she's basically saying hey gonna kill you and your kids and burn your house down and the church so call the cops what can they do it's the wild wild west in Philadelphia one day I'm sitting at the park and beautiful day. My son is playing in the water. I've got my legs crossed. I'm relaxed. I'm texting my wife. And almost like an Alfred Hitchcock movie, I look up and she's standing over me. And she starts going in, cursing at me. Stop following me. Stop harassing me. You left the dead bird in my house. At this point, my son, he runs into my arms and she's screaming at me and I start to back up just naturally because I want to defuse the situation. And she's got a backpack on. And she throws her backpack down on the bench and she starts fumbling through the bag. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm definitely dying today. She's going to shoot me. And a lot went through my mind. Like, I don't know if you've ever been near death or you think you're going to die, but I mean, I'm thinking about everything. Do I have life insurance? Like, does my wife actually love me? Hope she doesn't marry anybody else. You know, like all these different things. Like, what am I going to do with my three-year-old? She's going to watch me get shot. Like, what's, what am I going to do? And, and what seemed like forever, she ends up pulling out of her bag a hatchet. And so my, this is funny now, not funny then. My initial thought was, I think I can survive this. Also, a hatchet, like what? You know, like only in Philadelphia. And so I, I, so I've got my son, and then I, and I, I, I start to move, and she's like un- opening the hatch and starting to wield it. And so I call 911, and 911 goes, "Hey, before we come, does anybody have COVID at the park?" I said, "Lady." You can count me as a COVID death because I'm about to die. Please send help. And she's asking me a question. I finally just hung up on her because I was like, this is not helping. And 
so I'm, I'm starting to evade them and I remember there's a lady who's a police officer who's high up she goes to our church and I call her as I'm evading this woman in a park full of 60 people people are videotaping because it's like oh this is just a normal domestic in Philadelphia and so I call her she says do not leave the park you will die uh, I'm send I'm calling my sergeant and so she calls a sergeant I'm evading her eventually three men stand in front of me and eventually the police come and they take her but as they take her she is screaming obscenities and she's saying things to me that I have only ever heard or said to myself in private stuff that I've said my on my down days stuff that I've looked in the mirror and said to myself that would be discouraging she is repeating them and in that moment I knew this was demonic and she kept screaming stop harassing me and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit said to me he said hey I'm like God why is she saying I'm harassing her and the Holy Spirit goes because you are you've been harassing the spirit that has reigned over this territory for years and it is so agitated because my vision is your vision keep doing the work don't get distracted by the enemy who comes to steal kill and destroy remember I've come to give you life and life abundantly and victory the best is in front of you the best is ahead come on pick up your shield of faith I'm blocking for you angels are around you I don't know who I'm talking to today but here's what I know God's got something great for you despite what it looks like what are you gonna do with his vision that's the question that's the question let's build God's house let's build God's church and let's let him defend us and build our lives in Jesus name come on you receive that today if you do say yes and amen let's bow our head and close our eyes all over this room nobody moving most important moment of this day is right now there are people who hear my voice who are far from Jesus who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and it would be a shame on a day like this where we talked about his vision and following him for those to continue to not follow him the great deliverer and the great redeemer if you are here today and you are not following Jesus you've got sin in your life you're not where you need to be in your journey with God, whatever it is. Today's the day to come home. Come home now. If you hear my voice, you're not right with God. You're saying, I gotta get right with Jesus today. I gotta begin with Jesus today. I gotta put down the stuff. I gotta put down the drugs. I gotta stop seeking the high that doesn't fulfill. If that's you, you gotta get right with God today. Wave at me right now. I wanna pray for you. I'm saying, I gotta get right with God. I see you. Anybody else? I see you. I see you. Anybody else? I gotta get right with God today. I gotta begin a journey with God today. Anybody else? You can put your hand down. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you. I see you. I see you. Anybody else? I'm gonna wait just another moment. I really feel strongly that there's somebody here. You are battling the demons of of drugs and getting high because it is your only escape from your family drama and your childhood and the abuse you went through. Today's the day, now is the time to begin that journey of deliverance and freedom. If you are here today and you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, wave at me now. I'll wait for you. I'm gonna get right with God today. I'm gonna lay it down today. 
pray a prayer and it's not magic, it's a starting point. But I want us all to pray this together, loud and proud, to encourage those who raised their hands earlier. Can we say this? Can we say, Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for dying for me. I believe in you. And today, I ask for forgiveness. Come into my life. Be my savior. Be my leader. And raise me to new life. In Jesus' name.